0: Our <laughs> mammoth meatballs good with spaghetti?
1: Welcome to Answers News for Monday, April 3rd,
0: 2023. Hello, I'm Avery Foley, and I'm here with Patricia Engler and Jessica Jaworski. Hello. And we're going to be discussing scientists' creation of a mammoth meatball in addition to some other stories. So let's get started with scientists grow... Mammoth flesh in a lab. Mm, appetizing. No. Um, To make a prehistoric meatball, but they're too afraid to eat it in case ancient protein proves deadly.
1: Uh, so, <laughs> Shouldn't they have thought that through a little bit, maybe before? <laughs> maybe.
0: <laughs> maybe. Well, originally they wanted to make a dodo meatball, but then they didn't have the DNA for dodo, so they went with mammoth instead. So when it says mammoth meatball, they don't mean mammoth in size. They mean mammoth in, like, literal mammoth. Wooly mammoth. Uh, Wooly mammoth. Yeah. Uh, so... There's companies out there that are, they have an interesting name, cultivated meat companies, which again, super appetizing sounding. And what they're doing is trying to grow meat in a lab basically, instead of how we traditionally harvest meat from farm animals. And so they decided to come up with something a little more unique. And they took the DNA sequence from mammal muscle protein, and they filled in the gaps with elephant DNA, because mammoths and elephants, same created kind. So they filled in the gaps there with elephant DNA, and then they put them into the myoblast stem cells of a sheep and grew it into a mammoth meatball that they now will not eat because they're like, eh, humans haven't really interacted with mammoth proteins in a, a long while, so they don't really know how the imu- our human immune system will react to it, so they're they're not going to eat it, but they did make it. Yeah, so that's super interesting. And they said that they picked the mammoth
1: meat because mammoths are a symbol of diversity, loss, and climate change. So uh-huh. what do you think yeah. about that,
2: JJ? <laughs> well, that, that's kind of rooted in ideology um, that is looking at that the earth should remain untouched by people, basically, is kind of mm-hmm. what that goes to. But Because they believe that human activity is causing global warming, such as um, owning livestock and having uh, livestock as farming production, um, because they believe that the methane that is Produced from those livestock is causing global warming. Um, so there are some areas that are actually taxing farmers because of the methane that their livestock is producing. Mm-hmm. But that is a difference, in it's a worldview clash because we're—if you look to man's word—that um, is elevating the planet above people who are made in the image of God. And then also God's word tells us in Genesis 126 that we are called to have dominion over his creation, which includes the livestock. So from mm-hmm. a biblical worldview, we have the necessary means to go out to own livestock, to um, have meat that is not cultivated in a lab. <laughs> and so we can rest assured on the authority of God's word. Also that he will protect our earth too. And Genesis 8:22 says sea time harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter day and night shall not cease as long as the earth remains. So we have the confidence from God's word that he is in charge of his creation. He's in control of it. So we can rest assured in that. So
1: we don't need woolly meatballs. <laughs> um, <laughs>
2: Well, not necessarily. I don't know if I would trust them at this point. A
0: show of hands in the audience, who would eat it?
2: we got Ooh, a few brave okay, okay. souls in here.
0: All men, interestingly, <laughs> I think. <laughs> oh, it's interesting, at the end, this company was talking about how they believe the best way to um, transition a few billion meat eaters away from eating conventional animal protein is to invent meat. Which has already been done when yeah. <laughs> God created animals, and then of course we were created vegetarian originally. Yeah. And after the flood, God gave mankind permission to eat meat.
2: Yeah. Something else I just wanted to point out too. In the title, they, they say prehistoric meatball, but God gives us written, a written record of history mm-hmm. from yeah. the very beginning, so we can trust His word from the very first verse in Genesis one one. God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning, so we need not um, be confused about some of the terminology
0: that's used There's there no with no the prehistoric history. Yeah. 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 All right. So transitioning from a kind of a lighter, funny one to a much more serious item. Um, Nashville school shooting, six killed, including three students shooter dead. Now, I'm sure that everyone who's watching has heard of this um, news item. Last week, we did talk about it briefly because it was breaking news. Last week, we went live and we, so we stopped and prayed um, live on air last week. But now that it's been a little bit, we wanted to, to come back and talk about it again um, in a little more detail since it's no longer that breaking news story. Um, So everyone's pretty well familiar with with the events that unfolded, three children, three adults were killed. And it's really been uh, horrifying, horrifying tragedy. And seeing what's unfolded since then regarding how the media has treated this and how they've really just like blamed Christians for it. Well, it's your own fault. You're the ones who won't go along with the flow when it comes to all this LGBTQ stuff. You brought this on yourselves kind of thing that we're seeing from a lot of the media, a lot of these trans activists calling for more of this. It's really been horrifying to see and a reminder that we live in a a world that's not just broken and fallen, but a world that's also in direct opposition to God. People aren't neutral. People are directly hostile to God. They are enemies of God. And so, of course, they're going to be enemies of his church. And we should expect that. Jesus told us that. And this is just a really vivid reminder of the spirit sorry, the spiritual battle that's raging around us right now and that we need to, first of all, put on the armor of God and pick up the sword of the spirit and, and that shield of faith and be praying, praying for the church, praying for these families and praying that Christians will have the boldness to continue to stand even when we're being threatened and attempted to to be silenced because of fear. Absolutely, and
1: praying for changes of heart for the people involved as well. And We know um, Jesus was talking about how men love darkness instead of light because Mm -hmm. their deeds were evil, Um, but light Jesus has come into the world and he is the light of the world and it's in him that is the hope that people are looking for. It's not gonna come from trying Mm -hmm. to change who you are, it's by conforming yourself to who he is and what he's done for you and how he has opened the way for you to have that abundant eternal life. So that is the way we can love people. Romans talks about don't be overcome by evil evil, but overcome evil with good. And we were at a really great conference just this past week, actually, and so we've been talking about that a lot and how as Christians we need to continue doing what Christians have always done, living in a hostile environment, but overcoming Mm -hmm. evil with good and shining the light of Christ and living for another kingdom. We're citizens of heaven, it can be easy, especially as young people, we can kind of freak out a little bit like, whoa, there's all this hostility against Christians. Mm -hmm. What if we don't get to live a normal life like our grandparents did and get to check off all those earthly boxes. But we, we aren't living for this world. There's another kingdom and we just might need a little bit of a reset within the church and within young people that that's what we live for. We don't have to worry. None of us knows how long we're going to live anyway. Um, it's in God's hands and we need to be seeking first his kingdom. We can build our foundations and live for the gospel.
2: Yeah. Amen. Very well said. And I, I just wrote down Psalm 145. A lot of people wrestle with why would a good loving God allow mm-hmm. wickedness to prevail? And Psalm 145, 17 through 21 says the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. God is not sitting idle. He is still working and he is still mm-hmm. seated on his throne.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, a, a really great resource if you're struggling with some of those questions of how how could a loving God allow things like this to happen? Um, Ken Ham, our founder and CEO, has a book called How Could a Loving God that is an excellent, uh, really real look at why this happens and um, how we can put our hope and faith in in God and in Christ. And also the conference that Patricia alluded to, our women's conference. um, That was was an amazing, amazing um, just time of diving into that. And that'll be eventually available on answers.tv. So you can subscribe there to, to get all that content. All right, our next one here coming from the UK Bible college fires professor for tweeting against homosexuality, threatens to report him as a terrorist. A Bible college. A you Bible heard that right. College. A Bible college. Yeah. Yeah. So the Methodist, uh, this is from a college that's associated with the Methodist Church in the UK and um, clearly not a college that stands on the authority of the word of God. One of their professors tweeted that homosexuality is invading the church. Evangelicals no longer see the severity of this because they're busy apologizing for their apparently barbaric homophobia, whether or not it's true. This is a gospel issue, by the way. If sin is no longer sin, we no longer need a savior. So that's what he tweeted. And because of that, the, this Methodist Bible college, um, Cliff College in Derbyshire, uh, Derbyshire, there we go, Derbyshire, England, um, actually terminated his employment and has issued a threat to report him as a terrorist to the government. Wow. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's a it's a distortion, honestly, of God's design and mm-hmm. His His purpose and order in His creation and in the institution of marriage too. In Genesis one twenty seven, it says, "Male and female He created them," and it's also reiterated in the New Testament in Matthew nineteen four, when Jesus Himself says, "Have you not read? He who created them from the beginning made them male and female." So we see God's good design in the institution of marriage between one man and one woman. So we we shouldn't, as Christians, um, call um, sin good when God mm-hmm. clearly describes it as sin. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely.
1: And thinking of kind of redefining some of those terms, we're seeing here So many redefinitions lately in culture, and here's another, and redefining terrorism. It used to mean that terrorists were the type of people who went in and, say, shot people like what we're seeing now, but that's totally been
0: turned around. So It's just people who say things other people don't like. Yeah, basically. On one side of the aisle.
1: Yes. (laughs) And then it's kind of painting it as, like, well, Christians are dangerous, and even Mm -hmm. coming from within it, so people who stand on the authority of God's word are dangerous, and that's one of the Mm -hmm. first things you see when patterns of persecution arise against Christians. It's painted as a security issue. These people are dangerous. They need to be stopped. This is for the public good and the public safety. And then the Mm. other thing you see, I think we've talked about this a little bit before, but it's worth pointing out again, is that when persecution begins, it it often doesn't just switch on overnight. It's a series of gradual steps that ask Christians to compromise God's word to conform to the surrounding culture. So then you're allowed to continue practicing your faith so long as when culture and scripture disagree, you side with culture. They're your final authority. That's what this school has bought into because when the pressure to go along with this um, amps up a little bit, you usually get a split in the church. You have a confessing church that stands on the authority of God's word, and you have a compromising church that doesn't. In this case, we're seeing the compromising church attacking the confessing church to try to show their allegiance to the culture. That's basically what's going on here, and it's just worth reminding us and reminding ourselves that in the end, it is worth it eternally to stand on the winning side. We know Jesus is the winner. We have to stand on his word, no matter Mm -hmm. what the cost is on earth. In the Mm -hmm. end, that's the side that wins, and that's the side we need to stand with no matter what.
0: We must mm. obey God rather than men. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. In, in the article towards the beginning when the the author of this article was talking about um, the Methodist church and how um, this denomination, at least in the UK, has completely embraced homosexuality and the LGBTQ movement, feminism, and other leftist causes, at the expense of the gospel. And that is so true. They've traded the, the truth of what the Bible teaches about sin and about the savior, the good news of Christ and why he came for really a false gospel that can't save. So they've they've lost what's unique and precious and most important about Christianity, the authority of the word of God, the message of the gospel. At, for what? Mm-hmm. Like now they have, they don't have the real hope to offer people. Now they don't have the real answer to give to people. So they've given up what they needed to give the world in exchange for giving the world exactly what the rest of the world is already giving them. Yeah.
2: You can't call yourself a Bible college if you're not looking to the objective yeah, exactly. standard of the Bible. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were worried that he was harming the reputation of their institution by what he said. Yeah. It's like, oh, people might think they believe the Bible. <gasps> mm-hmm. <It laughs> They're should, a Bible college, the horror. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it should cause us to be in prayer too, for, mm-hmm. for the people who are facing yeah. this persecution as well as for the church just to remain strong. We can pray for um, people to be strong and courageous in the Lord to look to his strength for situations like this as well. Absolutely.
0: Our next one comes from New Scientist. Reducing inequality could see world population fall to 6 billion. So that headline seems a little bit like, huh? So if we're going to make the world's problems go away, we're going to lose people? Um, it's a very interesting yeah. headline. Um, not surprising when you dig into this, given that everything they suggest is like straight out of Marxist playbook, that it would indeed result in a reduction of the population because that's what happens when you adopt these kind of policies. So um, Patricia, what exactly are they talking about and why do they think this is going to see the population go meow?
1: Yeah, so they're talking about like basically there's this idea that there's too many people. We need to kind of um, change things, get rid of things, restructure things somehow. There's um, the the climate is going to crash because of what people are doing. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you have some very big emphasis on on climate change. So huge. So they're like, we need to get rid of some people. Well, not exactly in those terms. Um, (laughs) They were nicer than that. (laughs) A little bit nicer. But that's basically what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. And the means they suggest of doing this, and you don't necessarily find this explicitly in the article. But if you look at the articles that it links to, whoa a little bit of a power That's exciting. Okay, so if you look at the articles that it links to, this is just like some good background effect here. Yeah. Um, they're talking about reshaping markets, rethinking capitalism, and basically just like restructuring the economy. And they, it sounds like very suspicious and like kind of communism stuff, but one of the articles mm-hmm. that it's linked to actually says, well, shifting from growth to development doesn't mean having to freeze in the dark under communist tyranny. So it's like, wait a minute, why would you even mention (laughs) communist tyranny, if that's not really what this sounds like. So that's pretty Mm. suspicious right there. A little bit. Yeah, And also, even people living in communist countries don't have to suffer tyranny, so long as they go along with exactly what they're being told to do. But the problem is, is as Christians, we aren't necessarily able to Mm -hmm. do that when we stand on God's word. So some big problems here going on. And they also, again, use a fear appeal to do this. So that's where they're trying to kind of stir up scary emotions saying, well, you know, this is going to take a lot of restructuring society, but the default is terrifying um, environmental devastation, extreme economic disparities and fragilities, potentially unbearable social and political tensions. So it's saying either or, either the world collapses or you all get in line and we go along with this great leap, this giant leap. As if there's
0: no other option between those two. That's it. Yeah. No, no third way, no nothing. Just those two. Yeah. Mm-hmm, <laughs> yeah. yeah, uh, From an environmental
2: perspective when they were talking about some of the switch to um, alternative energy those, those sources of energy can be a good thing. Um, they can be used for good um, but Avery and I actually recently wrote an article, article called Climate Alarmism and we touch on how fossil fuels actually lift nations out of poverty so if anybody's interested in looking at that I would recommend that. Um, mm-hmm. But they provide an inexpensive and reliable source of energy. There's a lot of countries around the world that are still using um, uh, dung and wood in order to heat their homes and so it it has adverse health effects. And when we look to God's word, when he tells us that people are made in the image of God and we are to love our neighbor, we're to exercise dominion, we don't elevate the planet over the people who are created in his image. So we want to provide them with policies that are going to help them be able to produce their own energy so they can um, continue in their economies and develop and be able to um, uh, stay protected from adverse weather effects and other things like that with the face of um, some the government agendas of Mm -hmm. pushing the climate change. A narrative sort of thing. And,
0: so in this ahead. article they also talk about how this particular model is created to explore which policies would deliver the most good for the majority of people. Mm-hmm. Who defines what is good. Yeah, that's a good point. Because you can justify anything depending on what your definition of good is, or if you believe that the ends justify the means, you can justify literally any atrocity as long as your good outcome is what's going to result. And it, it's just when you don't have the the absolute standard of the authority of the word of God to define this is truly good and this is truly evil, then you end up with it be completely arbitrary based on Who has the power? It's
1: so true. And that's um, the problem with this um, reasoning in ethics called consequentialism. So basically, the end justifies the mean. You paint this as this is for the greatest good. Mm -hmm. I have actually read articles by, there's a, a philosopher, John Harris, and he wrote an article back in the 70s called The Survival Lottery, where using this exact reasoning, this is for the greatest good, he was literally arguing healthcare systems in governments, if you have three people dying of organ failure and one healthy person, you should kill random, innocent, healthy people for their organs because it's better to save three lives at the expense of one person. It's for the greatest good. And if you start with these premises, then his logic hands out. So that's just what you were mm-hmm. saying, the problem. When we don't start with the foundation of God's word, people are made in the image of God. If we don't want to get rid of them. Right. Then this yeah. is the type of direction that, that it can lead mm-hmm. to. And then you can, again, use it to justify all kinds of stuff. So it's just a reminder. This isn't like a, well, everybody panic because we're all going to die kind of thing. <laughs> this is just a reminder for why we need to defend the authority of God's yeah. word mm-hmm. and to continue being in prayer, like what we're talking about for our governments and um, just regular consumers to keep a level head and not panic, not just go along with all this and mm-hmm. um, just, just remember the truth of God's word.
0: Mm-hmm. And it, one thing that stood out to me as we were digging into some of the details behind this was as you're reading on their website, they're talking about how this is you know, gonna be so wonderful for, for everyone and for the planet, whatever. There was one sentence that was in there when they were talking about one of the things we need to fight is um, inequality in education. More women need to be more educated around the world. And they said that um, when it comes to ed- educating women, this is, there is an important additional benefit as women have more control over their future, they choose to have fewer children. So let's educate women so they have less children. And there you really see the heart of these people. They are not pro-people because they're not pro-children. And if you're not pro-children, you cannot be pro-people. You just won't be. Because if you don't love the least of these, if you don't love the precious little vulnerable ones made in the image of God, you're not gonna love the rest of people. And that's just the way that it is. So you see their heart right there um, in that statement.
2: Yeah, and God, God tells people to be fruitful and to multiply too. Mm-hmm. So we should desire children yep. if
0: we're able to do that. Our next article comes from Science Alert. The origins of human empathy may go all the way back to the ocean. So
2: we're all is, just
0: fish, according <laughs> to this article. According to this article, <laughs> the only reason that any of us have empathy for one another and we can kind of like feel other people's uh, you know feelings, their emotions, is because zebra fish. <laughs> that's a happy thought. <laughs> so they did a scientific study on these zebra fish looking at how oxytocin levels in the water other fish are able to sense that which enables the population to do better. If one fish spots a threat and starts to freak out, that alerts all the other fish that they may know to be all freaking out and they all need to go into defense mode, you know, survival mode and they can escape whatever the predator is. So because of that, humans maybe we that's how our empathy evolved and that's why we feel empathetic to Towards other people
2: yeah it's rooted in the evolutionary ideology that we mm-hmm. all just stem from a common ancestor and they actually say in here central to emotional signaling in animals such as ourselves is the peptide oxytocin so they're they're alluding to us as being animals mm-hmm. but when we look to god's word we see in genesis that he tells us fish were created on day five and land animals and man on day six and man is distinct from all the animals because we are created in the image of god animals are not
1: that's right. And when you don't have that biblical perspective, you start with an evolutionary view. You end up actually losing the foundation for morality. So it, it's just an evolved response, kind of related to what fish do. It doesn't actually mean anything to be empathetic toward people. And again, there yeah. are philosophers who argue in these lines. I actually was reading an essay recently by a guy named Michael Ruse. He's a professor, and he has an evolutionary foundation. And he says, based on that, how then do I justify my substantive my substantive ethical beliefs, my beliefs about ethics? right and wrong what should we do um, he says I simply claim that there is no justification I think substantive ethics claims like love your neighbor as yourself are simply psychological beliefs put in place by natural selection in order to maintain and re- and improve our reproductive fitness there's nothing more to it than that so there's actually wow. no reason to be empathetic towards other people mm-hmm. if it's just an evolved fear response so why would you be good to other people then why not just like go kill whoever you want and steal their cars, right. like really.
2: Yeah, from that standpoint, mm-hmm. it did, what, what would it matter if people were put in tanks and experiments were conducted on them, like from that evolutionary ideology, if we're all just animals, what's stopping us from doing that? And that,
1: has, that reasoning has been used in the past mm-hmm. before to justify atrocities. So the only thing he can come up with to say why we should be good is because like, well, we've evolved guilt too, so that's gonna like disturb us psychologically if we're not. But like, hang on, is that actually how it works? Like people can be conditioned away from feeling guilt, they can mm-hmm. be desensitized, we can just override it. Actually, philosophers like Nietzsche argued that that's what you should do. You can be like this Superman who realizes that morals don't have a foundation, so you should just be enlightened and powerful and stomp on other people to get what you want, and that's the right thing to do.
0: But when we look to God's word, it's not quite. <laughs> not quite the ethic we get from the word of God, um, which says, love your neighbor as yourself. That's not just something natural selection invented. That's something that, uh, that our Lord and savior actually said and commanded us to do. Amen. So no, the origin is human empathy. Do not go back to our zebra fish ancestors. It goes back to us being created in the image of God. And God has given us a conscience and he's given us morality. And only when we go to God's word, do we have an absolute standard by which we can say, this is right. And this is wrong. And if you want to learn more about some of the the things we've been talking about with like how do we? What, what foundation do we use for determining these things? What about Marxism? All that um, Christianity and wokeness by Owen Strand is an is an excellent resource that we have available um, that you can definitely check out. Um, all right, our next one here. We're going to the heavens. How old is the moon? Way younger than we originally thought. No kidding. Yeah, and what I have to say to this article is, you're still off by many, 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 many millions of years. So this is based on computer simulations of the moon's formation, um, according to evolutionary ideology. So basically, they believe that there was like Earth was just starting to to form, and it was smashed into by an object about the size of Mars, and the stuff that like went off, eventually kind of comes together and forms the moon. And so they think that that happened. Um, it's 85 million years younger than previous estimates based on their newest computer simulations of there how this go. might have happened.
1: I hate it when I'm 85 million years off the first time.
0: <laughs> That's a big gap. Yeah. <laughs> just, just
1: a I found the subheading so funny in this article. It was like, here's the true age of the moon. So it's like, forget everything you learned last time. This
0: we know is the right one. And it will never change. There's no, they'll, they'll right. never, they'll never change on this. <laughs>
1: the problem is it's all based on this evolutionary storytelling mm-hmm. and it's not based on something you can observe in the present. It's based on these computer simulations simulations, yeah. which are based on assumptions about the unobservable past, which are in turn based on these evolutionary and long age presuppositions. So the data you end up with is only as good as the models you use. And those models are only as good as the assumptions you put into them. And these assumptions happen to totally contradict God's word. So it's only going to lead you mm-hmm. in, an, in the wrong direction. So this is an example of where are starting with an evolutionary worldview, set science back.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. We have a, yeah, we have a lot of articles from Dr. Danny Faulkner on our website that talks about the moon and the origins of the moon too. And in some of those articles, he goes back to God's word that the moon was created on day four and was the lesser light that would um, provide a light for the earth. And um, we we can look to, to Genesis and see God's order and his design and his creation too, that he upholds all things by the word of his power. And God has made a purpose and order in those de- designs of the uh, planetary systems. And um, it's not a result of random chance processes so we can rest assured on the authority Mm -hmm. of God's word, again, when we look at the things that he has made.
0: Yeah, and when you you look at the design of the moon, it's not just like this, like, rock that's just there in outer space that just (laughs) happens to be there. Like, it's the, the gravitational forces that control tides that make life possible on earth. Like, the moon is extremely important. It's not just like some thing that, it's just in the evolutionary worldview, what dumb luck that so we just happen right. to get a moon that just happens to be the right size, that just happens to be the right distance away from the earth in order to perfectly balance things so that life is even possible on earth. Yeah. That just doesn't make sense in the evolutionary worldview. In the biblical yeah. worldview, we understand that God created the moon. He formed it mm-hmm. for a good purpose. And also this article says that how old is the moon? Well, we can answer that definitively. No computer simulations need it. If you go back to God's word, the moon was created on day four of creation week about 6,000 years ago. So there's your age for the moon. Yep. Reliable eyewitness eating. testimony right Absolutely. there. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. We have a good news item to end on here from LifeSite News. Major victory for the pro-life world. Court upholds pregnancy center's first amendment rights. So this is coming out of the state of. New New York where you may remember I think we t- we did talk about it on Answers News a while back it was in 2019 so this is going back a little ways um, when New York passed their reproductive health act which was a horrendous bill that that basically removed all restrictions on abortion and At the same time, they also passed what's called the BOSS bill, um, which basically makes support of abortion a protected class in employment non-discrimination laws, which means you can't hire or fire based on someone's um, decisions regarding their quote-unquote reproductive health, which basically means pro-life centers cannot discriminate against hiring an employee based on their views about abortion. So if you're a pro-life center, you're basically being forced to potentially hire someone who doesn't even agree with what you believe and thinks abortion is fine. Obviously, you can see the problems with that when it comes to pro-life groups wanting to maintain to their pro-life beliefs and be actually truly pro-life. So this has been in the courts. Um, and basically, they just had a victory because the, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the second court reversed a decision by a lower court to not dismiss it. So now it's not been dismissed anymore. It's going back to a different court. So it's, um, yes, it is a victory because things are moving forward and they're continuing to fight this. Yeah, so they still have to win the case, but at least Mm -hmm. it's not being thrown out. Yes, Yes.
2: absolutely. Yeah, and we can be in prayer for, for this case as well as it proceeds that... Um, God's word would, um, God, he, that God would be glorified through this and that we would um, uh, uphold the sanctity of life.
1: Amen. Absolutely. And continue to defend human life. I mean, mm-hmm. things like the Nashville shooting remind us that devastation and outcry is the right response mm-hmm. when we see kids being killed. The World Health Organization estimates that around the world, every single year, 73 million babies are aborted. And that's only the ones they know about. That's not including drug-induced abortions and, and other things like that. The leading cause it of is, death globally. every yeah, It's it's a human rights atrocity and we need to be defending it. And God's word gives us the foundation to do so. Mm
0: Um, And one resource, if you want to equip your family to understand how to think biblically on this issue, this new book here, Crafted by God from Fertilization to Birth by um, Stacia McKeever and Dr. George Rappertum. You'll know Dr. Rappertum from the program. She's on here quite a bit. Um, This is an excellent, beautiful book, all about the sanctity of human life um, from a biblical perspective. It's, As you can see, it's really pretty. It's got all kinds of neat foldouts, and it's designed for families to go through together to learn about what the Word of God says, what science says about life and pointing kids towards a biblical view of all of life from the tiniest little baby to the elderly and understanding how we think about them is made in the image of God fearfully and wonderfully designed by him. So that's all the news items we have. We do have a couple of events I just want to let you guys know about here. Um, we have coming up at the end of, or towards the end of this month, we have our Deaf Days event. Um, so we do host a uh, this year it's three days, first year it's three days, outreach to the deaf community at the Ark Encounter and the Creation Museum. So if you know anyone who would benefit from that, please send them to deafanswers.org. We will have um presentations in, in sign language as well as um, captioning and, and different things like that um, throughout uh, those three days. So be sure to get all the details for that and please let other people know. Um, also coming up in May, we have our Answers Homeschool Experience Equipping Generations for the King May 8th through the 12th. This is going to be a really exciting event. Um, you've may, if you if you homeschool, you may have been to a homeschool conference, but you've probably never been to a homeschool experience. Uh, so this is way more than just a conference. You'll definitely want to come out here from our, our keynote speakers. Heidi St. John is, is coming. Alex you know him from some films like um, just, you know, minor little tiny films. Courageous, War Room. (laughs) War Room, (laughs) Courageous, Facing the Giants, Fireproof, you know those. Um, And also we're going to have Captain Barry Wilmore, who's an astronaut coming, which is really cool. That'll be fun. Um, As well as Martin Isles from the UK and all kinds of more people. So definitely check that out. And there's all kinds of um, fun experience stuff that goes along with that event. Um, So that's everything that we have for you today. Thank you so much for joining us. And we will be back again next Monday with the next round of articles. Please join us then. Thank you.